and welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, former headmaster at Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Allison Tuttle, a wife and mother and the director of the Palatine Institute. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on A Court of Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome back to A Court of Three Strands. Today we are recording episode two of season five, and this season's theme is education. So last week we discussed education and uh, the paideia of God. And today we intend to discuss the transmission of culture, specifically what is culture and how do we pass it on? Excellent. Yeah, so big, I mean, big questions. You know, if education is primarily about the transmission of a culture from one generation to another, you know, what are those things that uh, need to be most conscious about transmitting? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the follow-up will be, what are the dangers we should be aware of in transmitting these things? Mm-hmm. All right. So here we go. The big ones, language, symbols, and customs. Mm-hmm. That That is uh, the these are important because language symbols and customs are in a sense, the culture that is being passed down uh-huh. as well as the very means by which yeah. we pass down culture. Right. So if, if we are going to be uh, good at educating our children and the paideia of the Lord, uh, they need to be very thoroughly um, immersed in the language of God, mm-hmm. of his church, of scripture, uh, the symbols of those things and the customs, uh, you know, which would include practices and rituals and things like that, mm-hmm. that these are the things that need to be passed down. Mm-hmm. They, they must be passed down. Um, and, uh, for, for it all to make, to make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me, let me give you a brief example. Yeah, please do. <laughs> uh, I was talking to a a, a kid who um, was reading Island of the Blue Dolphins. Okay. You ever read that one? I have it on my shelf, but I haven't read oh, that one yet. It's a wonderful story. It's for kids. It's yeah. a great, but it's a great story. You have, um, you know, the uh, um, Catalina Islands off the coast of California. There was, uh, it's about this Indian tribe who lived there and uh, they needed to leave this island because resources and other things. And, um, so everyone, everyone's getting their stuff together. They're going to go on a ship and go to it, to their new home. And, uh, this, this girl puts all her belongings, all her things into, uh, a chest and goes on board. And as the boat is leaving, she notices that her younger brother was left behind on the Island. And there's, 
there the ship is leaving. So she has to make this decision whether she's going to stay on the boat and go with the rest of her tribe and family or go back and live with her brother. Mm -hmm. So she jumps into the ocean and she can't swim because she's carrying all these, you know, her chest. Mm -hmm. So she has to drop everything and to, to, to swim back Mm -hmm. and to live with her, her brother. And so we, we talked about this as a, as a death and resurrection scene and, and baptism. Mm. And this uh, kid had no idea what I was talking about. You know why? He had not been raised in the payday of God. Correct. Right. What does that have to do? What's baptism? He didn't know the words. No, no, the symbols, no, nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's very obvious that, you know, so it's like she has to, her, her life has, her old life is dead. Mm -hmm. She, she actually leaves it in the ocean and then rises to this new life that she's going to be with her brother. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just clear. In fact, in the Island of Dolphins, there's several death and resurrection scenes throughout. Mm-hmm. All re- Every time she goes into the water and comes out, there's something new. And, and it's like, it's so, it's one of those books that it's great to teach that things to, mm-hmm. to younger children. But because there has been no passing down of, a, of this culture, of, this, of the uh, symbols and understanding what that is and what those rituals mean, um, it was entirely lost on this this boy, mm-hmm. and if and that's just one book. Like think of the Western canon, mm-hmm. and particularly those after uh, in after um, the middle Middle Ages had kind of the the church has taken over. How much uh, of the language and the symbols and the rituals and things like that are reflected in there? And if you don't know anything about the Bible, if you don't know anything about the liturgical practices of the church, you're just you're just lost. Mm-hmm. You're just lost. So um, to transmit a culture, we have to maintain language. We have to maintain symbols and we have to maintain um, those customs, those Mm -hmm. practices. So let's start with language. Yeah. How's that sound? That sounds good. All right. So uh, first of all, hear me, hear me. Um, This is not, you know, Ron Young trying to say this, that there's some sort of superiority of the English language over other languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that I live in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and the primary, primary method of, of uh, transmitting these things to my children and to most of the children here is English. Mm-hmm. Now, we have a, um, we have a, a new um, a director of Hispanic ministries at our church, and it's going to be planting a Spanish speaking church. Mm-hmm. It's excellent. I mean, like I am a hundred percent for that. I love that. We love that. And in fact, the things I'm saying right now would apply to them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have the tricky thing of both teaching these language customs and, and stuff both in Spanish, but also in English mm-hmm. because the kids are only going to speak English or uh, Spanish for like a generation and a half. Mm-hmm. Right. Two right. Ge- by the third generation, they're all going to be speaking English. Mm-hmm. It's just how it is in the United States of America. Right. So again, this isn't me going, yeah, English is God's language at all. I'm just saying that's the language of our culture. Mm-hmm. So what I'm, I'm saying is, is that the Bible uses language in particular ways. And as we've translated those original tongues, 
uh, Hebrew and Aramaic in the Old Testament and Greek in the New, um, to English. Um, there are words that mean things that we need to, that needs to shape how we think, and we need to maintain that language and give it to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, you know, just some brief examples, like you, you mentioned, what was it that you just mentioned? So we were talking about this and I said, oh, like when, you know, pro-abortionists call babies, unborn babies, fetuses yeah. or products of conception. Yeah. Or yeah. mothers are now called birthing humans. Yes. It's stupid. That's clever. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right. So, so that's the secular world going loopy. Right? And, and maybe also acknowledging that words matter a lot. Oh, absolutely. The, the battle, the cultural battle today is who gets to control the dictionary. Mm-hmm. Really, It really is. And mm-hmm. I didn't come up with that. I forgot who came up with it. Was that Doug Wilson? I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. Someone came up Somebody's with that. Smart, yeah. But I thought it's absolutely true. The battle today is who gets to control the dictionary mm-hmm. and what it says, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, you look at the, the Bible and um, it, a baby is a baby in the, in the womb. Right. John the Baptist was in the womb and leaped. When, mm-hmm. when Mary came in and who was pregnant with Jesus, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, in our, in my mother's womb, you formed me, you knit me together, right? Mm-hmm. Fearfully and wonderfully made. This is what scripture is teaching. And, you know, if you have a desire to, um, I, I guess one word, the secular world would say terminate the pregnancy, right? The Bible would say, kill your child. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have to come up with a different language to make it seem palatable. Palatable. Mm-hmm. So instead of calling it a baby, we'll call it a fetus mm-hmm. or a clump of cells. Even abortion as opposed to murder, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. The same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's crazy. I, I, you know, in the, in the Bible, it talks about um, in trying to give encouragement to God's people, he says that, you know, even if a mother, <laughs> forget you. Mm-hmm. I will not forget you. Right. You know, I'll write your mm-hmm. name on my hand. You'll be this, you know, this, there's this idea like who could possibly think of a mother who would forget their children. Mm-hmm. Oh, we live in a world where it's okay to kill them mm-hmm. as long as they're not born yet. Although places like New York, they're really trying hard to get to a place where that's possible. Mm-hmm. Even Minnesota and Minnesota. Yeah. I think they're already there, but anyway. Well, they are Viking fans. So, <laughs> actually, I just I should apologize for that. That I took that a little too lightly. <laughs> I was using it as a, a you know to to you know get at Viking fans, but I, I shouldn't say it that way. It's horrid. Yeah, I mean, that's a horrid it's thing. Evil. It's yeah. it's very evil. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, so we've we've when we capitulate language and don't use the language that God has given us in His Word. Um, it, it ends up in really difficult things. So mm-hmm. here, here's a, a, an example. Um, the word sodomy comes from the, the biblical story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? There's, mm-hmm. there are these, uh, people in Sodom who want to have unnatural relations with these angels. So men want desiring, as it says, unnatural flesh, this, mm-hmm. Males lying as with a man as if they were with a woman is how they put it in Romans. 
And the, the term then in English has been sodomy. And God condemns such acts. And uh, God condemns the acts of men lying with men and women lying with women. And, uh, and so this is, right, this is the way the Bible talks about it. At some point, uh, psychologists began to talk about this not as uh, acts of perversion, which is how the Bible terms it, but in terms of uh, being homosexual. Mm-hmm. Personhood. Personhood. Mm-hmm. So at some point, the church just completely dropped the ball and capitulated to that language. Mm-hmm. So here we are, you know, some 40 years later, and we're stuck. Why? Because we didn't preserve the language. We capitulated the language, and now the language is about being and not act. Right. And so now you're having, in, in our own denomination, um, having to have great discussions, and I think this is good because these discussions are necessary, about, um, about being. Right. So there was a recent controversy about a pastor who, who said they were a gay Christian. Mm-hmm. Is that can you identify yourself again, modern mm-hmm. secular language, identify as with your sin and be a Christian mm-hmm. and Christ? Right. Right. And you, that you cannot. You, you can't. Let's just be clear. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I've read the Bible once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, Paul talks about uh, to the the church in Corinth about uh, all these things, which included uh, homosexual acts, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, as people who committed those things, and said, as some of you once were, mm-hmm. but now mm-hmm. you're you're in Christ, you're a Christian, like you you just can't do it. But the whole reason we had to have these arguments now or these discussions now about language. Is because we had capitulated so long ago. Right. And so if we just stay on guard and we talk about, let's use the use language and terms the way the Bible has mm-hmm. uh, given it to us, as God has given it to us in his word, um, man, it'll make things much easier down the road. Mm-hmm. There'll be far less confusion and far less um, controversy. Right. Now, we, it'll be controversy to the rest of the world. Right. They'll hate us for it. It's sort of kicking the can down the road to Correct. capitulate language. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not loving, by the way. It's not. No, it's not loving. It's, it's not telling the truth. When the language is used for lies, that's not loving. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it's more than just that, right? So within the church, even uh, when I was pastoring in the 90s, it was all the rage uh, to make sure that you're welcoming the guests into the your church, which is good. Um, but the way they wanted to do that was to make sure that the service you had was seeker sensitive. In other words, if people are coming in and they're not Christians, they're not going to understand what you're saying. If they get this, you use the language of the church. Like I thought that was the most ridiculous thing in the world back in the nineties. And I think that's one of the main problems why our church is so ineffectual. Is because when you abandon the language of the church, how are you making disciples? Right. Right. You, what do you have to come up with new ones? So here, here we go. You might notice, Allison, that most contemporary music uh, talks of us primarily in psychological terms as victims of sin. 
Yeah, have you noticed that? Yes. I've noticed it. <laughs> I'm not all that happy about it yeah. because I see myself more as a perpetrator than a victim. Right. So where's the song for me? Like, can I, can I acknowledge that I am the perpetrator of sin? I am the one who has done harm to other people. I am the one who is, and I need forgiveness. Right. And the, the crux of this is that the gospel is for sinners. Yes. So if we're victims, yeah, we are no longer need the gospel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, weak and broken, like broken. You're broken by the fall. Oh, poor, poor Ron. No, not poor Ron. I'm the, like Paul, I'm the chief, like Paul's like, I'm the chief of sinners. Yes. Not, oh, poor, poor me. Woe is me. I've had so much sin stuff happen to me. You know, feel sorry for me. No, no, no. How, you know, singing that in church, what, like it, it just, it, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe I can think of some things that, you know, I've, I've faced injustice before I've, I've had, I mean, I have been victim of other people's sin. It's true. Yeah. But you know what? That is so easy to just, I, okay. That's now not I'm our going main, weird. No, I think that the problem is that that's not our main problem. Yeah. Right. Right. The, our main problem is our own sin. Correct. And we need to reconcile before the Lord yes. in that regard, not yes. other people's sin. So I'm fine that God would heal me of the effects of sin that has had on my life. Mm-hmm. But when I'm confessing to God, it's not my woundedness. Right. It's my wounding ability mm-hmm. that I'm, that in my, in my weakness, I have sinned against other people and against God almighty. Right. I am the problem, mm-hmm. not someone else. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, so, so the idea is we, we need to keep the language of scripture, talk about it as the Bible talks about it. Uh, you, you know, so, um, so how easily people have been led astray to look at Jesus as say an example. Well, why? Well, because they got rid of terms like substitutionary atonement. Mm-hmm. Did they just not like substitutionary atonement? It sounds really hard. I, I read a paper once where, um, a feminist was arguing that uh, it was a perpetuation of child abuse because God, the father has stricken his son and that is child abuse. And we shouldn't use those terms anymore. And I'm thinking, are you, are you kidding me? Like this yeah. is the whole crux of the gospel. This is Satan going, did God really say that? Mm-hmm. It truly yes, is. Right. We have to be conscious of language and what's being taught. One is just so you know, just in case every, in case people don't know, uh, Jesus came willingly, right? He even set God even set us up with the binding of Isaac, the story of Abraham, right? God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one you love and sacrifice him to me. And so Abraham obeys, but he has this testimony where he firmly believes that he and the boy are going to come back. Mm-hmm. And he says to his son, prophetically, God will provide a lamb for us mm-hmm. and goes up. And then the, the, the most Jews refer to the story, not as the sacrifice of Isaac. They call it the binding of Isaac. In other words, Isaac is, he is a, a teenager, uh, could easily overpower his dad. Who's old and couldn't, his dad was so weak. He couldn't carry the, the wood up. So he, mm-hmm. so Isaac does. So he's not this little kid. 
Like he is, he's probably 17 ish. He could beat up Abraham. If he wanted, he could escape. If he wanted, what he did was he allowed himself to be bound by eyes by his father. No, in other words, he is a willing sacrifice. And then God didn't provide a lamb at that time. He provided a ram, which meant that there was still a lamb to come. And that was Jesus who also was willing. Remember, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Mm-hmm. He says in the yeah. garden of Gethsemane. So it's not, it, it, it the atonement is a, a loving sacrifice for our sins where Jesus was willing to do this. Atonement has the, this idea of, uh, of making a making reconciliation possible. So if we if we decide not to talk about atonement, mm-hmm. we talk about not talk about sacrifice. Well, what do you have left? I guess Jesus is an example, mm-hmm. and so we want to do the things that Jesus does. So I guess we should pursue social justice, right? <laughs> wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> so so God loves justice. God is a God of justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. What does scripture say about that justice and how is it defined? Well, it's defined by scripture and by his law. What social justice people have done is, is they've taken Marxist terms and now they try to impute it back to scripture. Well, how did that happen? Well, it started off with us not talking about atonement anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we lose culture. We lose churches. The whole denominations are falling apart right now who used to be faithful. And they aren't anymore. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there's no power. There's no, the social gospel isn't a gospel at all. It's just a club. Mm-hmm. Right. Makes people feel better. Makes, well, so, uh, maybe. Some people. Some people. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. So language is a huge thing. We need to, we need to keep our language and, and listen to this. P- part of it is, is how we, how we do music, right? We have, we are not, um, our generation is the church has been around for a long time, mm-hmm. right? Since, since Adam and Eve, there's been the church. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we have all this history. We have all this tradition. We have all this that's, that's forms us and who we are. And, um, you know, last week, a bunch of churches decided let's cancel the history of the church and just only have contemporary music. Well, maybe it wasn't last week, but it was very short time again, figuratively speaking. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, we, we sing songs that will be sung for a few weeks and then forgotten by history. You know, no one's going to sing these songs a hundred years from now, but all the songs that we abandon, a lot of them, will probably still be sung a hundred years from now. Only our children don't get to know them because we withhold them from them. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've, it's, it's an interesting, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story at Providence Academy. We sang a mighty fortress is our God, a song by Martin Luther um, on reformation Sunday or uh, reformation day, like mm-hmm. Halloween, we call it in, in secular America. But we sang this song cause it, it's the day that Martin Luther not, you know, nailed the 99 thesis into the church door at Wittenberg. So we sing a mighty fortress is our God. And I have this eighth grade student who says to me, you know, Mr. Young, why do we keep singing these songs? No one's ever heard of. I said, what, what are you talking about? And he says, you know, that fortress song. I said, a mighty fortress is our God. He goes, yeah. Who's ever heard of that one? 
And I was, I was shocked. I, I go, you've never sung that song before? No. And this is someone who's gone to church all his life. I went and I told his, his parents, I said, hey, guess what your son said? And they were like, well, he's heard this song. Of course he's heard, heard it. Oh, wait, when did we start going to this church? Oh, yeah. You know what? He's probably never heard that song before. He thought no one's ever heard of it. Everyone's heard that song. The songs we sing on Sunday, no one's heard. Right. It's, yeah. it's the, these are the songs that everyone's heard and it gives such comfort and such, uh, uh, faith and, and, uh, just it's such good stuff. And then we, it's good. And we withhold it for something that's a little more, I don't know, emotional, yeah. uh, easier easy. to understand. Yeah. Easy, easy. Maybe. Yeah. It could be. So please. And I'm not saying don't sing contemporary songs. Just. Maybe sing a few hymns and maybe some psalms. Y- yes. I don't some know. psalms. That's, that's getting a little extreme. <laughs> no, but. I think you're right. You're right on that, which is something the Palatine Institute's going to work on. Yes, it is. Is having psalm sings and learning how to sing God's songs to himself, um, in, which is the psalm, psalm book. Okay. Yeah, get us to symbols, Ron. Yeah, symbol. Talk oh, yeah, because I'm running out of time here. Symbols. So there are also symbols of, the, of, of God's paideia, right? There's. Um, you know, the, the, the church, it's interesting, for instance, the the church building itself, um, you can go back as far as the third century and they talk about the architect of the architecture of the church, about it facing East and about it being built like a, like Noah's Ark, Mm -hmm. right? That it has this, which is why churches have historically been longer and narrow with benches. Yeah. I just heard the Theophilus Institute discussing this today. I'd never Is heard that this on before. There? Yeah, they just released a video. I got yeah. in an email from them. Anyway. Okay. Zion Covenant Church in Sheboygan, Michigan. If you ever go there, there's um they they intentionally did it so like the the ceiling and everything, it looks like the ribbing of a of a, a ship. ship. Yeah. And they actually have a ship at the end. When you walk into it, there's like a there's like a model of a ship up there. So you're reminded of this of, of kind of being in the ark. Yeah. Right. And anyway, um, there, there's, there's a fascinating sense of how churches were built and made. And it was all because you're surrounded by the symbolism of them Mm -hmm. because you are partakers of this. Like you're like Noah and his family being saved through the water of baptism. So beautiful. With the font up front. Yeah. So when you see the font, you know that I'm only worthy to come here because I've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That symbol is there to remind me of that every time. I am I am not worthy to come on my own. I'm worthy because of what Christ has done for mm-hmm. me. And I've been baptized in his to his name. Right. And then we've gotten rid of the fonts. Right. We we don't have right. So where's this where is the symbol of bapt of our baptism? Where's the symbol of our salvation? Right. So we come into a, th- a movie theater because it makes us feel more comfortable. Our, our eyes are projected kind of horizontally amongst the people and the pastor rather than uh, directed vertically towards God. Mm-hmm. We, we, so the, 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 all these symbols are just not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are lots and lots of symbols and our, our world is filled with symbols. And when you get, you have this knowledge of symbols then um, 
you can see them crop up in life all the time. This would be a fun episode to do, actually. And what's that? Just to, to just have a, an episode devoted to symbols. A like, season? I, well, it could be a season. Yeah. I, I think that would be so fun. That, that would be cool. Because I don't know a lot about this personally. And I feel like it would be just fascinating. It would be, it would be fascinating. Yeah. Like our, our, our descendants in the Middle Ages, for instance, you could not go a day without seeing the gospel. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> right? It's, it's so smart. It's, it's all so, around. Yeah, it's so wise. And feasts. Now, here we go. I'm going to talk about feasts real quick. This is part of customs. Yeah. Right? Um, it, it, in the old days, in the, the medieval church, um, it, there was this idea of, um, you know, f- feudalism. In, in essence, you have lords who own property and you have these serfs who work the prop work the land. Yep. And they just, they just work. Right. And they, the Lords have lots of stuff and money and wealth and the church would make feast days from time to time. And guess who's responsible for, for supplying the feast. Hopefully the Lord, the Lords are. Yeah. So the idea is, is that as you have feast days, there's a time off from work. Yeah. Which the serfs need. There's, uh, an abundance of food and it's all based upon the life of uh well of saints or that is missionaries and you know christians who have lived exemplary lives and so you pause to eat and feast and remember mm-hmm. the lives of these people who are historical people there are brothers and sisters mm-hmm. there are like yeah. we will come and we'll have a missionary speak at our church and it's like very cool but to talk about a former missionary who's now dead that sounds Catholic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, okay, that's that's weird. You know, why are we talking about Ansgar? Okay, because he's the one that brought the gospel to my people, mm-hmm. my ancestors, right? Or or Boniface who cut down the Christmas tree, mm-hmm. right? There's there are these um, these stories and these people that's worth hearing and reflecting. And you might as well take a break from your daily life and have a good meal and have people over and dance and enjoy it and right yeah so so the problem is as the as society changed from um this feudal system to a more became more um what's not industrial but more urban and mm-hmm. things like that um the the feasts were a way that uh you know the church church had importance people would travel they'd come to services there was more to be honest, more money, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you also had trouble with people of means wanting to provide for all these feasts. So you, you have the church then becoming requiring them mm-hmm. and then making pronouncements about whether you attend them or not being sin or not, mm-hmm. right? These aren't required by God. There's nothing in the Bible that says you should have feasts that celebrate this saint or that saint. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. It's just a fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. But when you, the church started requiring those things and then, you know, you had to, you know, penance and other types of things, or if you, if you celebrate it this way, then we'll give you time off purgatory, which purgatory is not in scripture either. You, You have a mess. Right. So when the reformers came along, one of the things they did was, 
they at least not not Luther, but the further reformers like um, we're talking like John Calvin and mm-hmm. John Knox and things like that. They did away with all those feasts, yeah, for good reason, yeah. But here we are, six hundred years later. Let's bring them back, and we're thinking, okay, can we have our feasts back yeah. now? Could we, right? Let's let's do them in an evangelical way. Let's mm-hmm. have them as a time of actual resting and and fun, not because it's bringing salvation to us or brownie points before God, but it's just a way of remembering, mm-hmm. right? So. One of the things I think we should be doing in our culture is just, again, is enjoying times of remembrance, of feasting together, of enjoying ourselves in the Lord, mm-hmm. right? So we've, since we've gotten rid of that, our, our world is in, it seems entirely secular. Mm-hmm. So because the church isn't celebrating these feasts anymore, and unless you're Catholic, uh, you know, and I'm thinking evangelical and reformed churches yeah. aren't, aren't doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what are the substitutes? The Super Bowl. Yes. Yeah. The things things that, like that. Things like that that mean nothing. Yeah. They mean nothing. They're entertainment. Yeah. They're and not make, inherently bad, but they're. They're not inherently bad, especially if the Packers make it again. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> then it matters a lot. Then it matters a lot. <laughs> I'm just, you know, but, um, you know, I was, I was sitting there on my outside. Um, I found out that, you know, the church looked at uh, December 25th as Jesus's birthday and that uh, six months earlier, John the Baptist was born. So he has a day on June 25th as his birthday, the mm-hmm. nativity of John the Baptist. And I found out that like, traditionally it was uh, people had bonfires on that day. Mm. And I thought, huh, it's the beginning of summer, mm-hmm. right? It's the beginning of summer and people probably just go, Hey, you know, let's, and why bonfires? Well, because John the Baptist was the precursor to Christ, who was the light of the world. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to make these lights at night That's and celebrate around it to remind them of John the Baptist's yeah. birth. Right. How cool is that? So why cool. not? Isn't that more? Doesn't that make more sense than getting together for the Super Bowl? Sounds more fun to me. It is. Yeah. Right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so we've we've lost some of these things. And so now the world just seems dull. Mm-hmm. right there's there's nothing cohering our time together except for um football season followed by basketball season followed by baseball season right right yep. or or the public school calendar yeah or it's so it's 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 almost as if the church and the history of the church doesn't matter at all in our lives Mm-hmm. Because we've lost the customs, we've lost the rituals, we've lost the symbols, we've lost the language. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even th- <laughs> things like this. If if you were to ask anybody on the street what a rainbow flag was, uh, almost none of them would say it was the symbol of God saying that He wouldn't flood the world again. Mm-hmm. They would say it represents LGBTQ plus 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 whatever they are you know all those letters alphabet plus yeah it's sexual deviancy mm-hmm. is what it represents how did that happen how did we lose that mm-hmm. um so one of the things that the church needs to do is understand that human beings live according to language customs right symbols and instead of um trying to make our churches 
more like the world so people feel comfortable. We need to make our world filled with the language and symbols and customs of the church so that our children understand what's really important. A, a, a tradition that's worth passing down, mm-hmm. right? Right now, how, how much of the traditions of our, of the church and our, of our world seems that it's even worth passing down? Not much. Not, yeah. Right. Yeah. What are we creating? What's the. Right. Like, are we even an identifiable people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will, will we be able to write the next good Christian novel if, Christians don't even know the symbols of the church because it won't even make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. We have dragons, I guess that's about it. <laughs> we can still fight dragons. That's all we got left. So, so anyway, this is, so if we're serious about a uh, Pidea of the Lord and passing it down, a part of our, the education of our children and of ourselves is, is this, the, the language of the church uh, the the customs of the church that which includes the rituals, the practices, and the um and the symbols mm-hmm. all need to be understood and transmitted, right? The danger, the danger is this: America today, since about the 1960s, is geared towards um, pop culture which is meant to attract young people to have their own music, their own culture, their own dancing, their own styles, all apart from the previous generation. Mm-hmm. So it, there's this immense pressure, or I don't even know it's pressure, but this Im- immense um, draw to suck our children away from the previous generations mm-hmm. in order to have generation fighting other generations. Mm-hmm. Because if generations fight each other, then the culture of the church and those things that are important are not being passed down anymore. That they're being accepted by their kids in school. Mm-hmm. That the 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 secular humanist culture is being maintained by the school and by pop culture, mm-hmm. and we're losing. It's true. We're losing. Yeah, and and we're. And so I think our previous generations, the idea was, is that they, they got stuck in a particular form of their culture, 1950s America, I guess. I don't know, which wasn't like wonderful Mm -hmm. parts of it were wonderful, but I think, and then they just shook their fist, you know, at Elvis Presley or whoever came up and, and pop culture and all And, and, uh, and so we've had uh, generations now of shaking fists at the younger generation mm-hmm. rather than creating a culture that's flourishing and good. Right. And that's, that's been the problem in our, in, our, in the church mm-hmm. is that where is the positive aspects of us creating a culture that's worth passing down where, right. Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, so in, in our uh, world, I guess, you know, we, uh, we have Swedish descent in our, you know, in our background, I used to belong to a denomination that was made from Swedish refugees, right. Who Mm -hmm. came here, uh, immigrants. Uh, and, and so, you know, there were these things called uh, like, uh, Santa Lucia, which is about, uh, Lucy who, uh, was a rich, a rich girl who gave up her dowry to help feed the poor and to, to, uh, help the persecuted church. 
and she'd bring trays of food into the catacombs to help feed the church who was being persecuted. She'd strap torches to her head to light her way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, she was supposed to marry this pagan and she refused and gave up her dowry. And so he turned her in and the officials got her and they tortured her. They, they uh, pulled out her eyes and then burned her. Right. And so Lucy uh, or Lucia, Santa Lucia was this, um, is this saint and dearly beloved in Sweden. There's a whole nother story to that. But it, the, the Swedish tradition was during Advent, you would get all your preparations for Christmas done before Lucia day on, on Santa Lucia on that day, the oldest daughter would come with candles in her hair and feed the parents breakfast in bed. <laughs> and they would have like this little celebration and a reminder of Lucy and, you know, mm. and then from the, and that's on the December 13th. And that way all the preparations for Christmas are all done and you're enjoying Add the rest of Advent mm-hmm. before Christmas, came, you know, and so we had the my wife and I we started that practice too, and part of it was supported by our church, and um, where you know we'd have we'd have Swedish pancakes on that day, and right, and then the rest of the Advent season was so a lot of Advent is preparation, and that's why it's all hectic, and that's mm-hmm. fine because you're actually preparing, mm-hmm. but to have it all done by the thirteenth. And to, and to have that feast of Lucia and to, was just such a great thing. Now, is that worth passing down? A- absolutely. And so. guess what? Kids love it. Yeah. And kids were, you know, Hey, what's, you know, so then all of a sudden they're having, they're trying to go to Ikea so they can get lingonberries to have on their Swedish pancakes mm-hmm. on the 13th, right. To remember Lucia and to have that, like, that's, that's what I'm talking about when we talk about a flourishing culture, a Christian yeah. culture that we're doing things that are, that are superior. Mm-hmm. They're, they're worth doing, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, so we need to, we need to work diligently on how is it that we're trans transmitting a Christian culture to the future generations. And part of that is just us ourselves are the adults, um, learning about the church and its history and its culture. So the paideia of the Lord would include the language and the traditions and the, you know, those things of the church. Yep. I hope that all makes sense. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Till next time. Till next time.